The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. That you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to Children's Church, please join our volunteers by the Kids Zone sign. And if it's your child's first time in Children's Church, please go with them so that we can get them checked in. Thank you, Jacob. Well, we are journeying in the book of Exodus. We're going with the Israelites from Egypt and their deliverance, and we're looking at how God gives them provisions on the journey towards the promised land after he has delivered them and freed them. And then Exodus uh, 31, we find ourselves, and we see that these words are written to a people who are submerged in an economy that an outside voice has said, you have your value based on what you produce. Is that familiar? The reason these ancient words are helpful for modern ears and modern situations is that not much has changed. And the beauty of it is that we can see the provision that God gives them is a very similar provision, and something we should lean into ourselves uh, as we find ourselves kind of in a modern state. And this morning we're going to look at rest. Rest. And you think to yourself, okay, here's my hand, um, slap it. I get it, I should rest more, I'm not resting enough. Uh, I get it. It's a good thing, not doing it. Maybe you can think to yourself, okay, rest. Uh, You know what? If I rested, I'll get behind. There's too much to do in my world, I've got to attend to it. The list keeps growing. Or you may think, you know what, buddy? I would love to rest. I sure would love to rest, but boy, I've got this and this and this and this to do. And if I don't have my fingers on those things, they'll fall apart. So Exodus 31 speaks into those things and every other thought. Because it's not here to scare you straight or set you straight or correct you or or make you um, uh, kind of uh, obey, 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 get it all right. What Exodus 31 is actually offering is this irreplaceable invitation to the Israelites and to us. And what God is saying in Exodus 31 and the the topic of rest and Sabbath rest uh, in particular, is he's saying that it's not just about stopping. It's not just about don't do what you're doing. It's more beautiful than that. He's saying rest as a part of your identity. Rest as a part of who you are. 
how rest is important. And in fact, when that idea of rest, when, when the rest becomes who you are and your identity, it soaks into you. It becomes who you are to the point in which it is an apologetic for our generation, which is a fancy word of saying, people will know that you know Jesus in the way that you rest. And as we look at Exodus 31 this morning, we'll see, we'll see three things. We'll see the need for rest, the model of rest, and then third, the method of rest. And as we study an ancient text as a modern people, uh, let's pray and ask God to bless the study of his word. Let's pray. Lord, I would speak for the entire room and say we are a people who are tired. Maybe physical, uh, it may be um, emotional, even mental. We have these capacities that are marked with fatigue. Give us rest for those things, but, but also give us rest for more. Whatever weight we bring into this room, let it encounter King Jesus and be changed because that's what you've promised. And Jesus, we pray this all in your name, the one who walked out of the tomb. And Lord, may we follow you and walk out with you. We pray in your name. Amen. So first, a need for rest. The need for rest. You don't have to think long about where you need rest. For students, you are kind of uh, going into the semester. You're rocking and rolling, and spring break is coming, and you can't wait. Exams, studying, this and that, classes, you're ready to leave it all behind for that one week of solace, the, the oasis in the desert. Take me with you. You can't wait for spring break. If you have a job that you... Monday is coming, sorry, but you've been working for the weekend. You have been so excited about the weekend plans and what you're going to do or what you're not going to do. All right, if you're married, right, you want a time away for simplicity and cleared schedules and a time to connect. If you have kids, right, you want just one, just one night of sleep. Right, even if you're retired, even if you have maybe further on down the road, you want to know that your life has weight. That, that, that actually, you did enough. All these seasons of life and responsibilities speak to how we need rest, but it speaks to how we are marked with limitations. We have faculties based on our embodiment that says there, there's only so much you can do. And as we search for rest, we don't have to search long because we are tired. And yet what we hear about the rest in Exodus 31 is not about nap time. We all love nap time. It's not about laying on the couch. It's not the movie marathons. It's not even about uh, clearing schedules or vacations. We want that. And we, we actually need that too. But what it talks about is something that's fundamental. It's deep inside of us. This deep soul rest. Because again, the rest it offers and talks about is a rest that's not about ceasing from just simply stop doing what you're doing and then do as you see fit. 
it gives this invitation about our identity, about who we are, because all of us live and go out into the world in some way, shape, or form, no matter what stage or season you're in, we go out into the world asking for it to say something of us, searching for identity. We want to be told that we're someone, that we're something. We want to be told that we're maybe not something or we're not someone. We long to be, have an identity that's true of us. Now, in, in the first Rocky, Rocky 1, the first of the 54 Rocky movies, Rocky is going. Sylvester Stallone's about to fight Apollo Creed, and he's in this big arena, and there's these posters of him and Apollo, and he looks at them. Rocky lo- looks at them, and he looks up, and this, um, this event coordinator uh, comes, and he's got the cigar in his mouth, the guy who's putting the fight on, and he says, hey, Rocky, how you feeling? And, he's, and Rocky looks at this poster, and he says, hey, I have red shorts with a white stripe on the side, not white shorts with a red stripe on the side. And, and this event coordinator looks at him and says, hey, don't worry about it. I'm sure you're going to give us a great show tomorrow, which means you're just going to be Apollo Creed's punching bag. Who cares about what this poster looks like, if it's true or not? And he walks through the city, and he walks back in, to his apartment, and he goes to Adrian. Adrian. And he goes to Adrian, and, and he goes to her, and, and he's downcast before the biggest fight of his life that he's worked so hard for, that he's, he's ready for, he goes to Adrian and she says, what's the matter? And here's what he says. He says, all I want to do is go the distance. No one has ever gone the distance with Creed. And if I can go that distance, seeing that the bell rings and I'm still standing, then I'm going to know for the first time in my life that I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. I'll know I'm not a bum. What this fight is for Rocky is not, he's not trying to be the champion. He's not even really trying to win. What he's trying to do is unravel this deep thing inside of him that has said to him his whole entire life since he was this big is, you're nothing. And what this fight will do to him is prove that is wrong. It's not true. He doesn't want to win. He just wants to be the person that he is, thinks he is. If he does that, then he'll know something. And we go out into the world asking, who am I? And if we do something, then we'll know something to be true of us. If I achieve success in my industry, I'll be okay. I'll be somebody. If I hear something from other people that, that, that's then uh, cast away because I've proven it wrong, I'll be okay. You know, maybe if I hear the voice in my head that's silenced and quieted, I'll be fine. The if and the thens about who I am. Judith Shulovitz, who's this um, writer for the New York Times, wrote a piece, and it's called uh, Bringing Back the Sabbath. And in it, uh, she said this. She said, uh, when the Sabbath was still sacred, not only did drudgery uh, give way to festivity and family gathering and occasional worship, but the machinery, when, when the Sabbath was still sacred, the machinery of self-censorship shut down too, stilling the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. 
what she's saying is that when we truly rest, when we lean into this need of rest, it will quiet the voice inside. The voice of self-reproach, the thing that always goes, the thing that can't stop. When we lean into rest, we let our hair down and we are who we're supposed to be. As we live to find out this answer in all of our lives, in different avenues, who am I? We often have that question be answered with another question. Who am I trying to become? Who am I trying to become? Because not always, sometimes, but not always, we, we, we have this deep need of rest when we cross wires of who we're meant to be as the image of God. And God made the earth in seven, six days. On the seventh day, he rested. And he says, you should have dignity in your work of the six. And on the seventh day, you should, you should rest. And when we take that thought and we twist it or alter it uh, to the way we like, and, and it often comes out like this. It often comes out that we only work to make ourselves into the image of the God we work toward. We try to become someone to answer the question of who am I? So that's the question. Who are you trying to become? As a student, right? There's a lot on you right now. There's exams and studying and pressures and, and, and have your whole life figured out and have your whole life figured out so that everything you do now fits into that idea. And if anything goes wrong, if any domino falls, everything else will crash. If, you're, if you work, if you have a job, uh, you have to perform well to take care of yourself and the people around you. And in fact, you have to do it perfectly. If you're in a marriage, it has to be one marked with perfection and, and grace and goodness. If you are a parent, you want your kids to be model citizens. All these things are the things that we long for to be true and we're all trying to make it to be true of us in our world because who am I? And when we go out into the world asking that question to be answered, oftentimes we'll have our wires crossed. And we see that's the place where we have to inject Sabbath rest into because our wheels will turn. So that's the need for rest, that actually we have this deep-seated longing to know who we are. That's where we see it and our need of it what do we do? Or what does it look like? How do we rest well? And that's the model of rest, the second idea. The model of rest. The song of the decade in the country music world was Miranda Lambert's The House That Built Me. It's a great song. Go listen to it right now. Not right now, sorry. Later on. And in that she says, she talks about how she has to go back to the house that made her, who she was. And in it she says this. She says, You leave home, you move on, and you do the best you can. I got lost in this whole world, and I forgot who I am. I thought if I could touch this place or feel it, this brokenness inside me might start healing. Out here, it's like I'm someone else. I thought that maybe I could find myself. Going back to the house that that made her, is where everything is grounded. Because she, re, she grabs the story that she's supposed to play into with her life. And it changes everything. 
And for us, as we talk about rest, we're supposed to do the same thing. We have to go back to the place that made us to understand who we are and to understand the story that we're supposed to play into. And that's the Garden of Eden. Because in the Garden of Eden, God made everything. The God who said, uh, I am existing separate from the world. And the world's chaotic and it's formless and empty. It's hostile to human life. And I'm hovering over it and I enter into it. And in six days, I bring what's, what was chaotic and hostile to human life. I bring about order and human flourishing. On the seventh day, I rest. That's what happened in the week of creation. That's what happens in the Garden of Eden, that God makes a place suitable. So with that story in mind, you may know it well, you may have heard it for the first time just then. With that story in mind, where is the model for us to follow? What model do we mimic in the story of the Garden of Eden and the story of creation? Because Moses is writing the people of Israel as they walk in the wilderness, and he says this. He says in verse 16 and on, he says, Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, seventh day, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. God rested and was refreshed. So, why does God rest? Is God tired? Does the God that have, has everything ever, who is complete in who he is at all times, always, is he tired? No. And Isaiah 40 says that, that he doesn't grow weary or tired even. All right, does the God who is perfect and has, lacks nothing, does, does he need sleep? No. Psalm 121 says that, that he who watches over Israel doesn't slumber or sleep. Does the God who makes everything, is he taking a break to make more things the next week? No. Everything that needs to be is in those six days. On the seventh day, God rested, and it says he rested and was refreshed because he looks at what he made and he delights in it. And the order that we're supposed to follow is that we make things that are chaotic bring order into it, and we rest and we delight. One book that I'd commend to you, just if you want to whet your appetite, and the topic of rest is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And the author of that says this. John Mark Homer says that the Hebrew word Shabbat, Sabbath, uh, means to stop, but can also be translated to delight, to delight. It has this dual idea of stopping and also joying in God and our lives in this world. The Sabbath is an entire day to set aside to follow God's example, to stop and to delight. To stop and to delight. This weekend, my parents came into town. And yesterday during nap time, we uh, had to find and went out to purchase uh, a shelf, a 20-inch tall shelf that's four or five or six feet long, and we had five minutes to do it. And so we went to the Habitat for Humanity Restore by our house. If you don't know what that is, here's what it is. It's a store that says, no one wants this stuff. Let's put it here so Ben will go buy it. (laughs) And so we went, and we looked for this 20-inch by five or six-foot bookshelf 
to go underneath the window. And we went, and we looked all around the store, and we finally found this um, bookshelf that's five or six feet long and five or six feet tall. And it was rickety, and the pieces were all there, and it wasn't put together. And I thought to myself, I have a circular saw. I have an air compressor and nail gun. I have ten fingers that I would like to turn into nine. I'm going to buy this. <laughs> and, and I'm going to, and me and my dad are going to work on it. And so that's what we did. We threw it in the back of my truck, and we drove home. And during the rest of nap time, we got to work. And what we did was make uh, this rickety old shelf into a perfect 20-inch by 5-foot bookcase for all the books that were scattered on my daughter's floor to go perfectly vertical and for the animals to sit on top to watch over the whole entire room. And with the extra wood, what we did was go into our closet and shoes that were scattered all about, 32 pairs of shoes can perfectly fit on four rows. In the last 20 hours, I have gone into my daughter's room and to our closet 48 times to look and stare at the work of my hands with 10 fingers, uh, the work of my hands. Because I, gotta, I love it when I see the books that were everywhere are now perfectly upright. And the cat in the hat is the where it's supposed to be. And I look and I see all my old Nikes that I don't wear, but I still keep. They're right there, perfectly ordered. When we create something and work hard and we bring order to chaos, that's the stamp of the divine in you. And what we're supposed to do is we're not supposed to rest and pat ourselves on the back when we say, I slayed it. I am awesome. I am a giant killer. Look how productive my week is. We're not supposed to do that and rest. That's how we're supposed to work, bring order to chaos. But what we're supposed to rest is this. We're supposed to follow what we see in Genesis 1 and 2. And in Genesis 1 and 2, the seventh day, God rested. And we're supposed to rest from our work. But it's a little different. Because we're supposed to rest in the fact that we delight in the fact that we are delighted in. On the seventh day, we rest. On the Sabbath day, we rest because we rest because we have been delighted in. And we also delight with God in a creation that he delights to make for us. We are to join God in delighting on the seventh day. And it doesn't include a nap. The naps are great. What it includes is the fact that God's crazy about you. Think of it this way. Adam and Eve were made on the sixth day. So if you were to ask Adam on his first day of existence, hey, what is it like to be made in the image of God, Adam? And he says, you do nothing. You rest on the seventh day. My first day is the seventh day. I'm going to kick it with God, the guy who made me, and rest with him. To be made in the image of God is this, that God, from your beginning, from the outset, the first thing that you experience is rest because the first thing you experience is supposed to be that God makes you because he, de- he delights in you. The model of rest is that we join God in being delighted in 
and delighting in his creation. Again, Miranda Lambert, if I could touch this place or feel it, the brokenness inside me might start healing. So the brokenness in your life, whatever it may be, what does it do as you look at that and speak into it and say, what is true of your God? That your God makes you in the sixth day. And he doesn't say, hey, every other day, the first five days, he said, it's good. On the sixth day, he said, it's very good. He looks at you and says, it's very good. And that on the seventh day, he stops because he made you in the sixth and there's nothing else that needs to be made because you were the perfect magnum opus piece for him as a creator. And actually, on the seventh day, he doesn't say, hey, get to work, earn your favor, earn my love, earn esteem. He says, would you join me? And would you rest with me? Because I'm wild about you. And I delight in you. And I actually love to see when you delight in the things that I've made for you. The model of rest is that God has set us up to begin with rest, not to end with it. He invites us to be delighted in and to delight in the world he's made for us. That's the model of rest. How do we do it? It's this last thought, the method of rest. How do we rest? What methods do we take up? And so before we talk about that, uh, what is rest not? What is rest not? And, and rest is not passivity. It's not laziness. Passivity is just maybe a kind word for laziness. Uh, I, a buddy of mine who went on a sabbatical said, hey, would you pray for me that I am restful because I have a PhD in being lazy? Rest is not passivity, it's not laziness. Uh, rest is not resenting responsibility because that's when you get fired. That's when the police come and take stuff away from you. Rest is saying, I, I want to integrate things that are part of my life and the everyday and inject rest into it. Sabbath rest, stillness. And rest is not reactively retracting. It's not dashing out no's to everything that comes your way. The no is a good word to say. What is rest? How do we rest? And now at 9.55, every single night, my phone goes off. It has this alarm. And on the alarm at 9.55, it says this. It says, time for Benny, bye-bye. Which is really gross to hear a th- someone talking to the third person. But, but what it is, is it, it's telling me, go to bed. It's time to stop. Throw the towel in. How many times in the last 90 days have I been in bed by 10 p.m.? You know the answer. Goose egg. No. What we need is not tips and tricks of how, how to live well and how to you know, rest better. Though we do need those things. And when you live in community, those things will happen. What we need is a framework that leans into the model of rest that God has set out for us. How do we rest? How do we find rest and refreshment just like God found rest and refreshment? In, in, in verse 13 and 14, in verse, uh, chapter 31 of Exodus, we, we see Moses say that God told him, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. 
shall keep my Sabbath because it is holy for you. Now, there's like this Christianese cocktail in there. Sabbath and, and sanctify and holy, all these things that we can kind of have gloss over us. But what does it mean? God is saying, when you choose my Sabbath rest, what you're doing is you're choosing to be changed by me. That you will be different. You will be changed. That you will actually find reprieve and rest for your soul. When you commit to this agenda and this design that I have for you, you will be different. Because true soul rest is offered by God to us because he is a God who's entered into the chaos of our inner world and outer world and brought rest and peace. And I know that because Matthew 11 talks about it. That the king of all things has entered into our world and said this. Jesus has said, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And Jesus says, the things that weigh you down, even as you walk in this room, even as you leave this room, the things that are waiting for you, if you bring those things to me, I'm not going to come and meet you with shame. I'm not going to come and meet you with correction. I will meet you with an exchange. I'm going to take that from you because I know you can't do much with it, but I can do much with it. And he's going to say, I'm going to give you what I have and it's going to change you and you're going to learn from me. Rest and the Sabbath are here as Exodus 31 verse 14 says, it's for you. And Jesus has says, I've come to give you the abundant life and the abundant life is not busyness. The abundant life is slowing down and rest. Sabbath rest doesn't make you weak. Sabbath rest puts you in the paint to score. And it allows you to embrace the fact that Jesus has made and purchased a light burden, an easy yoke for you. And when you choose Sabbath rest and lean into the model God has for you because he delights in you, you begin to know to be still. And you begin to know he's God. And you begin to know my God is wild about me. And you know all of those things because he invites you to rest. Let's pray. Lord, when we think about rest, we can only think about the things that steal from it. And Lord, you're not a God who steals. You're a God who gives. You're a God who changes and shapes and forms. And so this day, would we choose your rest? Would we experience your rest?
Lord, we know your rest because you're a God who's walked out of the tomb with us in mind. Again, may we walk out with you knowing the abundant life you offer. We pray in your name. Amen. With us in mind. Again, may we walk out with you knowing the abundant life you offer. We pray in your name. Amen.